0: holy moly 50 episodes guys <laughs> Woo!
1: That wow. is something else that is a milestone
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty intense that we've got this far so quickly such a great time we've had the great fortune to be able to interview some of the best and brightest minds and that is not an understatement in nfts today with projects at the bleeding edge of
2: nfts For sure. There have been some amazing insights along the way from projects like Animoca Brands, to Luxo, to Decentraland, and today's episode with Dapper Labs' own Mickey Marr.
1: And one of the most enjoyable things for us has been seeing the common threads across all of these amazing projects. You know, for me, one of the most consistent messages we receive from our guests is the importance of community in NFTs, whether it's creators bringing an already established community into the NFT fold or new projects that co-create their future with communities riding shotgun. It's clear that community matters within the NFT space as much as any place in the world.
0: Yeah, totally. For me, um, you know, I'm constantly amazed by the passion imbued to the DNA. DNA of these projects that are pushing the envelope. Um, a strong belief in the ideals behind a project to make it thrive, that's clear. Examples include a musician's passion for aligning creators' contributions with their compensation through royalties, or a digital artist whose passion for crafting digital art can now support that person's life. It is this passion that comes through time and again in our conversations that seems to drive founders at a fundamental level and helps. To bind their communities together in ways we have not seen before.
2: Yeah, for me, the common element among these amazing projects combines what both you guys have noted, and it's giving back to the ecosystem. In almost every conversation we've had, projects either lead or participate in giving back. In some cases, that means starting grants, accelerators, investment funds to financially support projects. In other cases, it means dedicating time, knowledge, relationships to the same end. It's also blown me away how generous our guests have been to our listeners. I think we've given away over $30,000, guys, of NFTs and crypto. We're even sending a $7,500 Picasso certified lithograph to Turkey. Giving back to the ecosystem in all these ways feels more authentic to this community than anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. So our vision for the Edge of
1: NFT podcast encompasses all of these things we've learned from the greats in the industry. And as part of our celebration of 50 episodes with these matrix-bending leaders, we will be launching our own NFT project. It'll be the seed that we hope grows strong roots around community, passion, and giving back. It will tap into the fun that we love so much about the space today, and also the utility that we're seeing from the most impactful projects in the world. Things like special access to the team, admission to special events, entries to killer contests, and sweet airdrops from friends. Keep an eye on our socials for how to get early access and help us celebrate turning 50.
3: Hi, this is Mickey Maher from Dapper Labs, the company with the goal of introducing blockchain to billions of real people. Thank you to my good friends, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney and Josh Krieger for introducing me to you, the incredibly awesome and intelligent listeners of the Edge of NFT podcast.
1: Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next.
0: Today's episode features Mickey Maher, SVP of Platform and Blockchain Partnerships at Dapper Labs, the groundbreaking company behind NBA Top Shot that uses the power of play to deliver blockchain-based experiences and digital collectibles that are made for you and ready for the real world. Mickey is responsible for all partnerships involving the Flow Blockchain or Dapper Wallet, aiming to expand the company's open ecosystem partnerships in content, entertainment, Gaming, music, fashion, talent, influencer, payments, and more. Mickey has a B.S.E.E. Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Purdue University and an M.B.A. from the University of Southern California. Dapper on the program today. Really excited to have you, Mickey.
3: Well, hey, I'm I'm excited to be here for sure.
2: So it doesn't look like you got. The party heart hat we sent you in the mail, but this is actually a, a big occasion for us. This is our 50th episode. Just randomly, couldn't ask for a better guest than than you and representing Dapper Labs. Yeah, it's been a busy few months for us. We're up to episode 50.
3: Congratulations! You could have definitely pushed me off if if you wanted to have a more notable guest, but I'm happy to be your 50th guest for sure. Even if you
1: got the hat, we wouldn't want to cover that that hairdo, <laughs> man. That's not, that's tight. That's tight. Yeah. Uh, thank
2: you. <laughs> so. You've worked in virtual currencies and gaming almost a decade. Were you super early on Bitcoin and crypto in general?
3: Yeah, I was, but I didn't really put enough money where my mouth was. I was into Bitcoin, talking about it often and actively as early as 2012. I wish the amount of time I I spent talking about it, I spent that amount of money buying it. Unfortunately, I did not. Uh, I bought a little bit, but then I also sold a little bit. So, And I have more now, but I don't have, I don't have Bitcoin or crypto at the 2012 prices. I have it at more recent prices, which is unfortunate. But I, I was pretty confident and I should have been more confident that this day was coming.
2: Well, how about NFTs? Did your tune change there? What was the moment that you realized that NFTs could be what they have become?
3: What have they become? Actually, it's an interesting question, but we can get into it. But the reason I'm at this company is because I was messing around with CryptoKitties and I was really interested in it. And it was really I was really curious about it. So I was I understood NFTs. I didn't even know what they were called NFTs. I just knew they were CryptoKitties on the Ethereum blockchain during the ICO boom of, of 17 and 18 and yeah, it piqued my curiosity and, and, and here I am.
2: Yeah, I can remember meeting with one of the founders of CryptoKitties in like a bar in, in Venice. I think it was the Whaler back in the day, him talking about how the network sort of blew up and, and what they're trying to do to sort of scale. And it was just the early days of like nine people hanging out, having drinks. And wow, times have changed. Yes,
1: but a big part of that conversation too was, gosh, this is just a great fit for sports, right? Like collectibles, cards, and like this was like to us, to Josh and I, this, this was the obvious use case being, uh, you know, baseball card collectors from our history and whatnot. And so when we started to hear about the evolution of Top Shot and everything, we're like, yes, this is the use case. You know, I don't think we could have. You ever guessed that it would like take off the way that it did when it did, but you know it was something else. But but I want to ask, man, like so you're into CryptoKitties, you're like really getting into it, and understanding what's happening here, you're realizing you know some of the capabilities there. How did you make the connection though with the with the Dapper Labs team, with the guys behind it? Like how did that relationship form and then ultimately become a, a working relationship?
3: Yeah, I mean one of the ways I operate in my life and in business as I I try to be helpful and as helpful as I can. And it just comes natural to me, to be honest with you. And uh, I've spent a lot of time on emerging platforms and gaming and consumer applications. So I have a lot of connections. I've built a lot of contacts. I'm always trying to be helpful. And um, and with people networking, people just getting into the space, giving advice, putting them in touch with the right people, et cetera. It's just kind of what I do. So interestingly enough, I I learned about CryptoKitties on Twitter. I started to um, engage with CryptoKitties. And one of my thought processes at the time was, you know, I, I had come from... I was very early on the Facebook platform, 2007, 2008, in a startup, right when they opened up to to apps and games. This is like pre-Zynga, pre-everything. I was right on the forefront of that. And that, that was successful. And then I moved quickly on from that after my company was acquired by American Express into mobile. And I was in mobile, I think, 2011, 2012, very early on mobile. And I kind of rode that Tidal Wave all the way, you know, up until 2018 with some, you know, actually quite a bit of success in that space. And I had seen it happen a couple of times. And given my experience in the space, I knew that all of these consumer application and game developers were going to flood to the next platform. I just didn't know what it was going to be at the time. There was a lot of conversation around it being VR, AR, etc., I didn't really believe in, in the VR space as much then. I still think we have a long way to go before VR becomes mainstream. One of my thoughts prior to discovering CryptoKitties was I didn't need to work in crypto. Like if I wanted to make money in crypto, I could just invest in crypto in trade crypto. It didn't need to be a job. CryptoKitties was the thing that changed my mind because I saw very, very, very clearly the how this could be the next platform or growth opportunity for all these web2 application and game developers that you know may have sputtered on on mobile kind of plateaued on mobile and they were in search for that 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 growth stage on another platform and when i saw cryptokitties i was like well i guess i can work in this space so to kind of wrap this all up once i learned about cryptokitties i decided to research the company and frankly, two of the individuals that were founders of CryptoKitties are people that I had helped or helped them with their companies or in the mobile or Facebook space in the past. So it was a very easy and seamless conversation to say, hey, this is what I want to do next. Do you have a role for me? And then, you know, the rest is kind of history. And that was a good three and a half years ago.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, you know, you mentioned earlier being helpful and I, I know a lot of our our listeners want to co-create the space. We're we're all about co-creation on Edge of NFT and and we have quite a few listeners who are as well. Just before I ask the, my next question, I I, I want to ask you like advice about how to be helpful, you know, like first of all, if you do know something, right, to bring to the space, but it sounds like you've been in situations where Maybe you didn't know as much, but you found a way to be helpful and gain knowledge be productive and, you know, be a integral part of things growing. Anything to say about that?
3: Yeah. I mean, look, I, in, when I was, you know, embedded in the mobile space, I knew as much and I was as well-networked as anyone. So I had a lot to offer. I don't know. Some people would disagree with this advice, but I just was helpful to people that i liked and i thought had the right intention in mind and had something to offer to the space Uh, a lot of people ask first like ask for something can you know i have a piece of your company can i have a piece of equity can you pay me can you do this and maybe you know i gave up uh you know some short-term revenue or opportunities at that point just to be helpful uh but being helpful uh led me to a much much greater set of opportunities down the line, including, including Dapper Labs. So I don't know, it's not in everyone, but my advice would be to be helpful to people that you think can offer something to the space and the universe will come around and, and reward you probably eventually.
0: Thanks for that. And that kind of leads to the next thing I want to ask about just, you know, you, you did kind of find that you know things were coming back around for you and you were being behind the scenes during the ideation and development stages of a project like TopShot did anyone really foresee just how in demand in some cases valuable these moments would be
3: i mean we did and we didn't i would say we believed in what we were doing we we actually our CTO wrote the ERC721 standard on ethereum and we actually invented nfts as they're known today on ethereum so we were all in on nfts and the future of nfts but what we're more into the power of smart contracts the power of composability and the power of the blockchain beyond just the collectibles so i would say we knew something was there that's the reason we engaged a world class partner like the nba with you know 1.5 billion global fans i think it is because we knew that type of brand in the space certainly had tremendous potential but the other thing that i would say is we didn't expect it to take off this quickly because there's so much left to do from a product standpoint we haven't we've experimented with great utility in top shot But we haven't really completely unlocked all of our ideas around utility and composability and the openness of of a project like that and what that potential could be. So the fact that just the collectible and the beautiful UI UX and and design of the product has driven so much notoriety and, and so much activity is a very good sign because we're pretty much, on you know, we're still the starting line here of what we think is possible, not only with TopShot, but with NFT and smart contract based projects.
2: I heard the word composability recently at a conference. Can you tell our listeners what that means to you? It's simply,
3: I would say it's where, what you would think of when you think of the metaverse, it is smart contracts functioning as Lego blocks. That are built on top of each other or around each other. So if you have a smart contract, that can be a leverage point or a building block uh, to build other experiences or other smart contracts on top of. So any smart contract that or any project leveraging smart contracts that gets built in the space becomes a stepping stone or an accelerant to other projects. So, you know, internally, we've kind of used the terminology that Blockchain and smart contracts uh, can accelerate software development. And that's exactly what composability is.
0: Nice. So like Lego blocks have high composability, right? And uh, dirt doesn't. (laughs) I don't know.
3: (laughs) Dirt does not.
2: (laughs) You know, it's a great segue. You know, everyone knows CryptoKitties and NBA Top Shots, but I'm sure... Our listeners are curious about what's next. What are you guys going to crush next and where are you going? Tell us a little bit about your roadmap and how you intend to continue to build out the ecosystem.
3: I mean, look, sports are obvious. We've UFC licensed. We've had that for a while. As you may know, we just announced La Liga, uh, the Spanish Football League, as a partner in the Dapper Labs uh, studio. But I think what's important to note is Dapper Labs is just a studio building into our layer one flow blockchain ecosystem. What's really next for us is the 3,000 plus developers that are building into our open ecosystem. Um, There tends to be, because of the success of TopShot, there tends to be a focus on what Dapper Labs and the Dapper Studio is doing. Dapper Studio is a customer for Flow blockchain. We're going to build projects and we're going to build projects around sports and other IPs. We have a lot of other ideas that could be great fits for for other large tier one IPs and we'll continue to release those into the flow ecosystem. But I think the power of the community, all these entrepreneurs, uh, Web3, Web2, everyone that's now coming into the space and building and those 3,000 or so developers that are building into the flow ecosystem, that's go- going to unlock so much potential and so many interesting ideas that you know Dapper itself could, could never capture all the ideas that are coming out of those 3,000 plus developers.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. There's so many different possibilities that require a lot of bandwidth and focus. And there's so many amazing people coming in this space with with ideas, how do you sort of amplify uh, the ecosystem beyond the constraints of your own team, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, look, the two platforms that I've been successful in, Facebook and mobile, those platforms were built by the long tail, the indie developers, the entrepreneurs, right? The winners on the Facebook platform, the winners uh, in, in, on iPhone or in the mobile ecosystem were all simple five to ten person startups that came in built natively and creatively for that specific platform. And that those things grew to the billion or multi-billion dollar businesses that 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 are there today.
2: It's like the origin story of crypto kitties, right? Just reimagined over and over again.
3: Exactly. And the and the more shots on goal I would say you have, the more developers that are building this space, the more interesting projects like an Axie Infinity or a CryptoKitties or an NBA Top Shot will emerge.
1: Let's talk about some of those projects, Mickey. Like, What projects come to mind that are, are operating within the ecosystem? Uh, we, we heard about Memento, for example. Could you tell us about that project or maybe some others that come to
3: mind? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I don't want to say too much about Memento specifically, but there is a project Memento building in the space. I'm always hesitant to share too much about Projects that aren't live because the entrepreneurs are are sometimes sensitive, but yeah, Julian at Momento is building into the Flow ecosystem. I always hate to do this too because there are so many projects being built in the Flow ecosystem that if I name a few, someone's going to get mad at me. But I'm I'm going to give it a shot. There's a company. There's a company called Mint. Mint is building. They built a project for Koenig Art Gallery, which just sold over a million dollars worth of art. In the last 24 hours, they built the Chicago Bulls NFT project, and it's all built on Shopify. So you can think of Mint as an agency, and Mint builds builds out Shopify stores in partnership with Shopify in the Flow ecosystem. Company called Gig Labs, who's done they built into the CNN website vault.cnn.com. They built the Miami Hurricanes football college football team uh, ring project. And they're very similar approach to Mint. And they will also be leveraging Shopify moving forward, I believe. company called Eternal, Eternal, I believe, has the record secondary market transaction outside of TopShot in the entire Flow ecosystem. That is a platform for Twitch streamers to sell NFTs. Um, There's another one called the Record Shop um, with no vols. Record Shop is built by a technologist and EDM artist, Obi, and they are doing a series of NFTs, whether they're video, collectibles, et cetera, around emerging EDM artists. So Obi is an EDM artist himself and a coder, and that's doing really, really well. And then we have a, a game, a Steam game called Chain Monsters. Chain Monsters did their genesis nft sale recently sold a million dollars worth of nfts i think under 10 minutes something like that and all those nfts are launched and built and designed to have utilities in an actual game so things like chain monsters are what are moving that is what is moving the space forward because nfts you know aside from art and high-end art that's fine to just remain a collectible but i think nfts need to have utility and need to have use case. You are in a digital environment. The power of digital is to allow these assets to actually do something and be distributed. And projects that are building with utility in mind are going to be the successful projects.
2: How do you work with these folks and mentor them and and support the ecosystem? What have you found works best and how much of it is just sort of, you know, taking off the training wheels?
3: We probably know more about the the company knowledge that we have at Dapper is probably, I would say, is much greater than any knowledge center on earth around NFTs, NFT design, what works, what doesn't, and, and what the future looks like in terms of NFTs. We try to take as much of that knowledge and pour it into our ecosystem, into our flow ecosystem, because we want those entrepreneurs to be successful. We want them to build projects as, as great as TopShot or as successful as TopShot in the ecosystem. So we take all of that knowledge and all of that learning, and we try to help these entrepreneurs as much as possible. And then we also have a very... I'm on a podcast, so I fear, fear misquoting the actual number, but it's something like this. MBA TopShot itself has more users than the top 40 or 50 Ethereum projects combined, so, we have a lot of users in our ecosystem, and we want to help all of these third party projects in our ecosystem get discovered by those users, right? So, when we talk about network effects, we might not have the network effects that Ethereum has in terms of high end pieces yet, but we certainly have a tremendous head start on, on a lot of chains and in terms of the number of users in the ecosystem that we can build network effects around. And we like when those users discover. Third-party projects outside of Dapper projects.
1: Yeah, it's pretty special what you guys have built there in the time period, and also what it's grown into over a, a similar time period. I do want to note one thing. Um, I asked, I asked about Memento, uh, and it stood out to us because we did see a press release about it. I just want to want to call it out because there's something like really interesting there. And so our understanding is it's basically direct to fan NFT social network that allows for the fans and and collectors of particular content creators to own like the best moments of that content creators content which is pretty special especially you know uh, for us and, and and folks in a similar boat to us there's all these special moments these mic drop moments from our episodes that we love to capture in a different way to share with our our fans and it sounds like that's the path these guys are taking i just i just wanted to elevate that cuz it's something that popped up and we just think that's really special
3: yeah, I mean, I think a really great thing about this space is connecting creators more uh, directly with the fans. I mean, what Blau is doing with his Royal project is 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 exactly what this space is, and it w- is exactly what this space needs to evolve to. I'm sure you're familiar with that project, and your audience is likely familiar with that project, but Blau is selling his music as a set of nfts and he wants to enable other artists to do that and my understanding of the project is that users can buy these nfts and owning those nfts you get rights to that music or that album you can earn cash flows you can that asset would appreciate as the album does well and that asset also gets you special access to blau whatever that is that he defines whether it's backstage access part of the exclusive club so you can capture your social capital those those types of things is what moves the space forward that's utility that's beyond just the collectible and that's what really really makes the space interesting and and yeah and you mentioned Memento. it's it's the same same type of thing connecting a creator no one likes the word influencer anymore, except for me. But an influencer more directly with someone that is their fan or they might resonate with.
0: I want to know a little bit more about uh, you know the evolution of Flow. You know what you guys are projecting or planning. What kind of plans for interoperable? If I could pronounce the word interoperability, are you planning for the Flow platform?
3: Uh, that's it right there. <laughs> we are as the Flow Foundation, Dapper Labs. All of us are. Big and true believers in the open ecosystem. Everything should be as open as possible. And that, you know, interoperability is as open as it can get. I believe that the interoperability is based on community demand. And it's more of a community initiative to bridge over to the other projects that they want to bridge over to, right? If the right team or teams came to us and said, hey, we want to build the decentralized bridge over to ethereum we would certainly support it if it was the right team and we thought they'd build the project well secure and and technically sound we'd be behind it but i think it's a community initiative and in fact anytime there's been a number of uh, projects that had launched assets on ethereum first and built their own more centralized one-way bridge To port those assets over to Flow. So again, it was a community, a developer initiative, not a Dapper Labs or Flow Foundation initiative. Um, And I think that's the way it should be. We would certainly help.
0: Well, a common principle for development or development of any sort. You know, you don't necessarily, you know, if you're if you're a true visionary, sometimes you can preempt what the customer is going to want and need. But if you go too far down that rabbit hole, you can end up expending a lot of resources in vain.
3: To be clear, I'm pretty sure that our ecosystem is going to want these things, but I also think it's an opportunity within our ecosystem for someone to build a a nice little project or business around it. And it doesn't have to be Dapper Labs or the Flow Foundation to meet the entirety of the demands from the ecosystem. Given there's 3,000 developers building into the ecosystem, there's plenty of development talent to go around to meet the developer needs, in in my belief.
1: Yeah, man, constant kind of reshaping and evolution right around the platform. It's great.
2: Yeah, totally. So we get a lot of fun and bound of guests that see themselves as being on the edge of NFTs. And I can't imagine how many people reach out to Dapper. So you have a pretty good perspective on... Where this could all go um one fun one i got the end of last week we got was around ai enabled nfts that have a soul that you could program so excited about that show coming up where is this all going mickey i mean what are the nft projects platforms ideas that we haven't covered yet today that stand out to you as sort of paving the road to the future
3: i always love to bring up genies Uh, are you familiar with the genies project on flow
0: let's hear about
1: that I am. Yeah, even even before, yeah, even prior to uh, their their blockchain use case.
3: Yeah, yeah, they they were not blockchain native before, but now they more or less are. So Genies is a digital avatar company where it's really kind of almost a kickstart into this the the metaverse thing, right? So Genies are you know NFT avatars that can be brought to multiple different websites and or properties digitally, where your avatar as it exists, grows, changes, follows you around to your favorite sites. You get to, you know, you, you get to own it because it's a blockchain asset, but you know, there's accessories around it that you can own, trade, there's an economy around it based on those accessories and those different avatars and again, it's just where they have integrations is where your avatar goes and you can start to see it propagate across major major properties across the web. So, this is really kind of an intersection between this metaverse concept as assets kind of follow you around where you go. But I also think like, what this is capturing is what I call social capital. And here's an example. So I grew up outside of Chicago in my 40s. So it's okay to date myself, because it's kind of, you know, it needs to be said for the story. Every year in school, when we come back from when we came back from Christmas break, the kids were excited to see who had the new Jordans. Right. Seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, all the way until high school. It was like, who got the new Jordans for Christmas? Who are the coolest kids in class? Who's showcasing their coolness with what they own and where I grew up and in pretty much uh, a lot you know, a lot of the U.S.? In that era, Jordans were capturing your social capital. But my point is that I see that type of behavior moving digitally. So it's more important to this upcoming era what their digital social capital is than what their physical social capital is. So I can imagine a world where genies and genies with their digital Jordans is the most popular person or the person with the most social capital versus that person that would also have that in real life, right? The digital accessories around your genies, the digital accessories around your metaverse is how you're capturing capturing your social capital, how, how you're flexing, how you're bragging, et cetera.
2: My, my concern is that my genie knows me better than I know myself and starts buying Jordans that they think I would like and without my permission, then then
3: <laughs> that gets
2: a little bit strange.
3: Yeah, that's, that's like my seven-year-old son who's got our iTunes account now.
1: <laughs> dangerous stuff.
3: Well, yeah, it's really <laughs> dangerous stuff. But now you're like Obama. You wear the same suit every day. You don't, you don't even have to think. Right. There you go. You make it easy. Yeah, the genie, the avatar is just buying for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. You have your green suit and the genie actually is dressing you in the digital world. And then all you need is a catheter and a bedpan and you're good to go.
3: <laughs> it's, it's the matrix, right?
0: <laughs> what part of Chicago did you grow up in? I'm in Chicago right now. so I asked.
3: Yeah, so I grew up on the south side and then... Like Beverly or something or what? Like Calumet City.
4: Oh, okay. Got it, got
3: it. Yeah, like... The, the real South Side. Then we moved over to Northwest Indiana when I was a kid. So I spent, I don't know, eight or nine years in Southside Chicago. And then up until I graduated high school in Northwest Indiana.
0: Nice. Yeah. Living here when the Bulls were in their glory was an incredible experience. Being downtown, I remember when their third uh, championship was just, yeah, you could never have an opportunity like that again.
3: Yeah. That was the prime of my life. It was like, they won their first title when I was uh, in eighth grade or freshman in high school, and then they won their last title in 98. I was kind of like sophomore, junior year in college, so pretty good time to be alive.
1: And now's the appropriate time for me to ask, are we going to see some Jordan Topshop moments? Are we doing some throwbacks? <laughs>
3: oh, I mean, you'll see. TBD. TBD. We've got a lot coming. A lot will surprise you, and a lot will be interesting and exciting. So there's a lot more coming. We've just, as I said, we're we're still at the the starting the starting line. We're still just scratched the surface of what is available and what can be done in the top shot ecosystem, and frankly, in some of the things that Dapper Labs is going to be doing overall.
1: So amazing. Yeah. Exciting times to be in the space for sure.
3: There's going to be some tremendous announcements this week, a couple of them. So pay attention.
1: Oh, okay. You got it. You heard it here first, folks. Well, Mickey, thanks again for giving us the background uh, on all of that. We're really excited to see uh, where you go next.
4: Hi there. Let me interrupt one sec with a special secret. Here at Edge of NFT, we want to loop you in on the best kept secrets in NFT right now. So this might be the first time you've heard of it but you need to know about Koi, especially if you are a creator or even if you're just a supporter of groundbreaking projects. You need to dive into Koi ASAP and you can do so absolutely for free. Here is the best way. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi, that's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can find out how to install the Chrome plugin, publish your first 50 NFTs for free and start earning KOI whenever anyone visits your NFTs. Imagine a world where sites like Facebook and Instagram would allow creators to earn every time their posts are viewed. This is what KOI is built to support. Plus, KOI is built to scale globally without killing the planet. Go to edgeofnft.com/slash KOI, install the Finny Chrome plugin right now, publish your first 50 NFTs for free. And start earning koi today. But we want to
1: take a couple minutes also and get to know you a little bit better, hear your personal perspective on uh, some questions that we call edge quick hitters. It's basically a fun and quick way to get to know you. And ten questions, really looking for short, single word or few word responses. But feel free to expand if you get the urge. You ready to dive in? Always. All right. Here we go. Question number one: What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Rode my bike up to the local baseball card shop, and I bought a pack, uh, a 1986 tops baseball card pack. Yeah, it was an 86 pack, and uh, I got a Kirby Puckett uh, in that pack. And at that time, he was a stud, and you know, I was maybe eight years old, so it was a big deal for me. And then within a half hour, I ended up with my friend. We fell into the the creek behind the baseball card shop, and that... <laughs> That ruined my entire pack, including my Kirby pocket. So I cried myself all the way home. Oh, no. Traumatic experience, my first purchase. <laughs> That's rough, buddy.
0: <laughs> Fleeting.
3: Yeah. Yes, indeed.
1: Yeah. Let's move the question to you. All right. What is the first thing you remember ever selling
3: in your life? As my wife would say, I'm a hoarder. So I'll tell you, the, the first thing I remember selling, and this is probably, I don't know. I mean, this, I'm old, so we didn't have eBay, I, you know, Craigslist, et cetera. So it's was, it was kind of hard to sell things at that time. I'm sure I had sold baseball cards and stuff previous, but I don't remember specifics. The first thing I can remember selling was my Jeep that I bought. It sounded like a good idea, but if you know anything about the Midwest and you know anything about Jeeps, they're great in the summer, very non-practical in the winter when it gets cold and the air just blows through it and you're basically like you're outside. So I bought a Jeep, I think I was 19 or or 19 or 20 during the summer, I needed to sell it within six months of buying it because the Jeep was not affordable uh, to me at the time. So definitely a winter car on top of the summer car Jeep was not something I was going to partake in. Uh, so I needed to get rid of it and buy something more practical.
1: Yes. But uh, Jeeps, I imagine uh, high demand nonetheless, right? Cool outdoor car, maybe something that would have been nice to still have, I guess, in your, uh, in your uh, hoarding collection. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I doubt it. That was a good 20 plus years ago. So it would have left us nonetheless.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's move on then. Question number three. What is the most recent thing you purchased?
3: Mm, Great question. It's going to be so boring. (laughs) Robots. Let's get bored, guys. Everything I purchase now is for my seven-year-old son. So... He came running (laughs) up to me yesterday. He needed $5 worth of Robux to do whatever he was doing and Roblox. So that's what I purchased just yesterday.
0: Well, we've had a lot of guests who mention, you know, they they see what's going on with their kids and what they want to purchase, you know, digital, digital items. And that just reinforces their confidence in, in this uh, digital space.
3: Well, a lot of times when I use that Eric Jordan example, I reference my son, which is entirely true. He, He couldn't care less what he's wearing. But the things that he has in whatever digital environments, mostly Minecraft and, and Roblox uh, as are, are the things that like he brags and talks to his friends about the most.
1: Yeah. I think that was that Peter Lynch's investment strategy for the Magellan Fund originally, like look to see what his wife and kids were doing and buying at the mall, you know, and then <laughs> research those companies and invest in them it worked out pretty well for him.
3: Yeah. I, I've heard of a lot of VCs talk about their investment strategies kind of built off of what their teenagers are doing especially in the social space. So I think that's a pretty good strategy.
1: Not too shabby. Question number four, what is the most recent thing you sold?
3: I don't know. My wife has a pretty active eBay store and sometimes she just wants to get rid of my stuff. So she sells stuff that I'm not even aware of. I think it was probably a pair of shoes or something that I, I no longer wear. But again, back to the hoarding, she's figured out a way to kind of clean that out.
1: Honey, I I sold these uh, these white air Jordans. Looks like they were from like the late '80s. Whoops, <laughs> that wouldn't <laughs> be good. Um,
3: I'll tell you right now, I'm not. I, I'm all about holding. I'm not selling anything in the crypto space. So that's not something that, that you're going to hear out of my mouth.
1: Nice question number five. What is your most prized possession?
3: Probably, unfortunately, my phone. Because I don't think any of us could live without a phone at this point sadly a smartphone. So we'll go with, we'll go with my iPhone Sad Very sad to say that.
1: Yeah. When you take the time to think about like what it took to go coordinate a trip to the movies with your friends as like a teenager or something. Right. It's like, it's, it's mind blowing to think what we went through to do that relative to
3: today. You know, what about a Thomas guide? Yeah. Do you know right. what that is? <laughs>
1: yeah, sure.
3: Yeah. I had one of those in that Jeep that I sold. Just, just, Trying to find a place, and just popping open that Thomas Guide is yeah, the yeah. Google Maps revolutionized our lives in ways we don't even realize. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: What about movie phone? <laughs> movie phone. <laughs> You'd call the number and they tell you, <laughs> yeah. they tell you when the movies are playing. You'd have to wait for the theater that you was in your neighborhood.
3: <laughs> All right. Yeah, it was moving on. a good ten minute ordeal. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing stuff. All right,
0: moving on.
1: Question six: If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical a service, and experience that's currently for sale? What would that be?
3: Well, CryptoPunk, I'm really jealous of everyone that has those. And I'm really mad at myself because I was could have had a lot of them when they were very cheap. So I have a lot of regrets there and I have a lot of jealousy. So that would be my answer.
0: Got it. Yes. Yeah. Josh and I heard about the Bored Apes way too early to feel good about where we're at with those right now.
2: <laughs> we got the memo the day after the launch and seemed way overinflated to our <laughs> overly analytical brain so i've turned more and more like an ape with every passing day in this space yeah be careful Isn't be careful out there yeah.
1: yeah question seven if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation
3: what would that be pass one on yeah just t- i'm a tireless worker there's a quote from john McEnroe. I don't know if you know this quote, it's one of the best ever. A reporter, John McEnroe, one of the, you know, best US tennis players ever, a reporter once asked them, like, hey, your son doesn't even pick up a tennis racket. You know, why doesn't your son play tennis? And John McEnroe simply said he suffers from affluenza, meaning too much affluency. I worry about like, you know, I grew up with not a lot, uh, not saying that my son is growing up. With a huge amount, but he's growing up with a lot more than I have. And I'm very cognizant of not only him, but this this generation is, I feel somewhat spoiled overall in the work ethic, at least that I was exposed to in my generation. I, I don't necessarily see it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I feel like that is something I would want to pass on to uh, to everyone in this upcoming generation.
0: Yeah, right on. Some of that grit. Uh, the Warren Buffett quote, uh, he said, when giving his kids money, I think it was enough that they could feel that they could do anything, not so much that they felt they could do nothing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm part of the problem because one of the answers that I gave uh, previously was I bought Robux, you know, that I kind of just go out and do that. I'm creating a problem that I'm well aware of, but I can't. I can't help myself.
1: Well, let's ask question eight then. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be?
3: Hmm. I I have to get really introspective here. huh? I would say, I would say follow your passion versus follow what you think is necessary or expected of you.
0: Yeah. Easy trap. So you have a little bit of that intuition to kind of like follow what's needed or expected, but you kind of wish you... And you're happy when you followed more the passion.
3: Well, I didn't have a, it was not a straight path to getting here. I mean, I was, I was an engineer in college and mostly I was an engineer because it was like, I was smart, good at math, but I was like, ah, well, this isn't going to pay me a lot at 22 years old. So I'm going to do this. I absolutely despised being an engineer and I despised every class that I took in engineering. And it was really a miserable existence now I can't discount how it got me to where I am today, which I'm pretty happy with where I am today, but I did it for reasons not other than following my passion.
1: Yeah, man. So important to do. And I feel like now more than ever, uh, people have an opportunity to do exactly that and make a living doing it. You know, it's a pretty special time.
3: Exactly. that's That's a great point because your passion can become... You can play video games for a living, for for God's sake. I mean, like your passions can be uh, easily monetizable in in today's world. So uh, I guess maybe the advice is very, very timely for this generation. Indeed.
1: Question nine, a little bit easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast?
3: I was on, I literally sit on 10 to 12 hours of Zoom a day. So I was on a Zoom with a, a potential flow developer, so... Not exciting, the truth.
1: Yeah, no, that's cool, man. You got, I, I think it is exciting from what you were telling us before. <laughs>
2: yeah. I bet that developer was pretty darn excited. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? I All bet. right. Well.
1: Yeah, that's question 10. Let's do it.
3: Oh, it is question 10. Great. I'm starting to see the trend here. I will drive my son to baseball practice, and then I will leave, which the point is that I've coached a couple seasons, and it's just too overwhelming for what i've got going on with work i wish i was coaching but at this point just dropping them off at baseball practice is is a win for me
0: don't you want to be that dad with like the vein popping out of his neck like taking (laughs) that's why he has to
3: leave (laughs) (laughs) that is the antithesis of me (laughs) i kind of let them run wild and do whatever they want Right. nice they're seven and eight and they all they should be doing is having fun Unfortunately, there are those dads and moms, frankly, with the veins and such. <laughs> yeah.
1: No goose, no bueno. No bueno. Mickey, thanks so much for playing uh, some Edge Quick with us. We appreciate it. I think we have some hot topics to dive into as well. Uh
0: uh-uh. Let's hit it. And there's a little bit of a theme for the first gin juice and NFTs. A little bit of a theme here you'll see in hot topics. The first couple Snoop Dogg is Cosmo Medici owns over 17 million in NFT. So here's a story. Snoop Dogg from his official Twitter account on September 21 posted, I am at Cosmo Medici, disclosing to his 19.2 million followers that he is behind pseudonymous crypto twitter personality and also the one who holds a blue chip collection of nfts worth millions of dollars i believe including an aforementioned board ape his wallet contains ethereum nfts worth 17 million that includes nine CryptoPunks, decrypt reported i don't know man i just looked at the account and i read through the tweets and all that and i was like if he's like a gemini you know and he has like multiple personalities or something like that but i just I don't know. Maybe I didn't look deep enough, but I didn't see anything that was characteristic of what you would expect from Snoop Dogg's personality in those tweets. So why would he claim it though? Right? That's a good question. I don't know we were talking about this before. Maybe he has other people tweeting for him. Maybe this is like, maybe I just don't know Snoop Dogg's personality as well as I would think. And I, that would be totally understandable. Mickey, do you know Snoop? Are you buddies with that guy?
3: We go way back. Actually, I do go way back with Snoop. He was the chronic with Dr. Dre and then doggy style were must listens in my 1983 Chevy Blazer in high school. So we do go way, way back. But I think the mystery can be solved by just saying that someone else is writing his tweets and handling a bad account. I don't think he has time for that whatsoever. So that would be how I would solve the mystery by saying there's someone else with a different personality writing those tweets.
0: So the question is, is why would they be tweeting in the first place to kind of like, is that person like an NFT investor personality? They're like good with that. And he kind of like hired them as his like, call it a portfolio manager or something like that. I mean, I can't wait to hear how this all falls out, you know?
3: I'll be paying close attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But we'll see. I think our, our, our next... Topic may uh, provide some yeah. answers to that, right? Yeah, let's smoke some NF trees here. Uh, Snoop again enters the sandbox metaverse. The Snoop Private Party Pass is a limited token which gives you access to step into Snoop Dogg's lifestyle. With the Party Pass, you can attend Snoop's private metaverse party and get access to exclusive NFTs, priceless experiences, and a chance to have Snoop Dogg perform an exclusive concert on your land. There will only ever be 1,000 passes available. That is not many. People are going to snatch these up if they're not already snatched up. Create your account now to get your pass. Oh man, sandbox, three ways to obtain one.
1: Yeah, purchase one of 212 premium lands in the upcoming Snoop land sale. Purchase one of 650 passes sold on the marketplace and then be a lucky winner of 138 giveaways during their airdrops, which is pretty sick.
2: Look, we've talked a lot about access and I mean, there's definitely a cannabis culture that has transferred into the metaverse and into a lot of art. There's been quite a few projects, general projects that have a certain segment of the NFTs reserved for, for the cannabis culture, knowing that those folks like to buy NFTs. So this is a no-brainer. I think Snoop will will crush it with this project. What do you think, Mickey?
3: Look it's got a lot of potential to crush it. This is what I've been talking about. This is a great use case. This is digitally native access with ownership, especially in a digital environment. There's all kinds of composability things that could go on here. This is what the future looks like. Whether or not this is the particular activation or project that crushes it, I'm not sure. But I love the attempt and I love the idea. And I'm Really looking forward to seeing how this plays out because if it's successful, we're going to see more and more of these and more and more of these will lead to more creativity and you'll start to see the space move in this direction, which is an excellent direction to to move.
1: Yeah, for me I look at it and I say one, why wasn't it 420 passes? But two, <laughs> <laughs> two like to me what I'm waiting for is the hardware component of this, you know, to to give access in a way that's seamless for people, whether it's VR or AR or something, just to tie it together in such a way that it's it's not particularly invasive on people's ability to access the experience, like make it like super easy and just you know, part of their day-to-day life. And, and that, that, to me, is going to be the major inflection point when we get that hardware from someone. I don't know if it's going to be from Apple or from somebody building from the ground up, but, but that's what this makes me think about is when are we going to hit that point? Who's it going to be and what's it going to look like?
3: You're ready for Ready Player One already, huh? I'm
1: ready, man. That's the inflection point in my mind.
2: I will say, Jeff, this is a step in that direction where we're getting into ownership of land and bringing the party to your virtual house, right? You know, we, we've talked a lot about utility and the metaverse, and this is bringing it all together in a way that creates additional value that doesn't exist otherwise without sort of this underlying land that you get to have that is part of a, a community of like-minded individuals like you. And you can throw the house party with Snoop. That's pretty freaking cool.
3: Yeah, you know what? And the next step of this is that I own that piece of land and I can rent that piece of land for the concert, right? So I can, maybe I don't want to attend the, the concert. Maybe I want to monetize my my holdings. So selling a ticket to the concert, leveraging my piece of land is like the next step to this.
0: Right on. Totally. And and speaking of land, this will come 10 days out later than the actual occurrence, but we had Frogland on an episode recently who's creating an interesting sort of virtual land for NFTs uh, project. They just started releasing their frogs. I believe it was just started today. Really cool project around virtual land and NFTs as well.
2: Yep. Buy a frog, get a piece of land. They sold out. So shout out to uh, Snoop Frog, actually, in his yeah. team.
0: Yeah, <laughs> actually, even think about that. Convenient. Next hot topic, and then we'll start to wrap up, but how to make aping into the next top NFT drop even easier. OK, it's the largest NFT market by volume. It's OpenSea. It's launching the smartphone application I did see a notification. I actually didn't download it yet, but that's exciting. It just makes things a lot easier. You know, at the same time, it's interesting to see these different platforms go. They're on the computer first, right? A lot of strategies have been mobile first, computer contemporaneously. And then a lot of these crypto projects are going ahead and starting on uh, you know, the desktop or laptop first. So, but anyways, it's here. It's ready to go.
1: Yeah, moving from web app to mobile app, I think is a big move. You can ape in anytime you want from your phone or wherever, much more, much more easily. Uh, obviously, you can do it from you know Safari or Chrome or whatever on your on your phone, but this makes it so much easier. I think I haven't messed around in the app too much, but I feel like probably going to open the door to a lot more trading. I think probably the features around uh, auctions and the different levers in there and staying on top of that, probably keeping tabs of that more easily, you know, comes to mind for me as one of the, the nice benefits of having that app.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, the lack of mobile presence has also is also one of the factors that has been holding i would say the space back it's that friction point between web 2 closed ecosystem and web 3 open ecosystem you know the the app stores are you know the web 2 closed ecosystems and you know it it's tough for them to understand this web 3 concept and and how it's antithesis to the way they operate you know we're seeing the app stores slowly get on board with this and you know open will be another thing that leads to probably the app stores more becoming more and more open to web three experiences.
1: Yeah, totally, man. It's exciting times. All these, all these improvements, right? All these different iterations it's just driving this thing forward. And it's like so rapid you know, it's exciting, man. It's exciting to be in the middle of all this, you know, I think that's a, a wrap for the episode overall, but Mickey, man, where should folks go to keep tabs of what you're up to, the projects you're working on and uh, what they can expect next?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's the, the, the best places to go to keep tabs on the company and what's happening within the company is, you know, the, the flow Twitter account, the official flow Twitter account and the uh, official Dapper Labs Twitter account. I mean, anyone's welcome to follow me on Twitter. I'm not really that interesting, but Dapper and the Flow Twitter accounts are great ways to keep up the speed on what's going on within both the ecosystem and the company.
1: That's amazing, man. Really appreciate that. And I think we have um, a little giveaway you were working on, Josh, right? With with the Dapper Labs team. Did you want to maybe get some background on that?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about this. So we talked earlier about the, the Chain Monsters and they had a Genesis sale. And my understanding is that there's this beta season pass of 25 season exclusive NFTs plus one rare collectible NFT, which was only available through the pre-sale and that we are going to be offering 10 of these. That's pretty amazing. Wow. Amazing. That's super cool. I think that's
3: great. It's an excellent project. It's a fun game and it's a, you know, this is a one of the first projects in history that you know is a game built specifically with nfts and nft utility in mind so having one of these is you're gonna you know nonetheless historical relic that uh, you can say was you know one of the first NFTs to have use or utility within an actual game.
2: Amazing! Well, that's awesome. Super excited and appreciative of you coming on the show to celebrate our 50th anniversary. Time flies when you're having fun (laughs) and, you know, just continue to look forward to what's to come with Dapper Labs and and Inflow. So thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Our listeners should look out for more celebratory things coming out of Edge of NFT as well for this 50th episode. So pay attention.
2: We've got our own sort of project we've been cooking up for quite some time and we'll be sharing more details soon and give folks that have listened to this episode an opportunity to get on the presale for that. So lucky for them.
1: The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple
3: strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.